Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 25 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is Part 1 of a two-part story. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. On Tuesday, September 18th, 2012, PC Nicola Hughes and PC Fiona Bone arrived at a property in Abbey Gardens, 10 miles east of Manchester city centre. They were answering a routine call. Adam Gartry reported that a concrete paving slab had been thrown through his kitchen window. Police emergency. I had someone just threw a big concrete slab through that window and ran off. Of the house or a car? What are we talking? No, sorry, in my back window, in the house. In the house. What's the address there, please? Did you see them? Seen one, yeah. Do you know them? No, I don't know. Okay. Did they, do you know why they've done it? I haven't got a clue. Okay. Is it a rear window, did you say? Yeah, it's in the back garden. Were you in the room where it came through, or did you hear the bang? No, and I was out? upstairs. I looked out the window and seen one by running off. Is it a kitchen window that's gone through? Yeah, kitchen. So it's just happened prior to your ringing, has it, yeah? Yeah. And it's a piece of concrete, yeah? Yeah, it's a piece of concrete at the corner of the paving stone. So it's a piece of concrete paving stone, yeah? Yeah. So you saw one person running off, yeah? Yeah. Which way have they ran? What direction? Ran there. Uh, there's a, like a field at the back, and I've just seen them running over the field. I can point it out to the... Officer. Which field? What road is the field on? Is it off Abbey Gardens or? Uh, on the kind of, yeah, but you. Not on, not on the other side of Ashworth Lane? Yeah. So they've gone toward 
Robotton Road across the field? No, not that. Yeah, kind of, yeah. If you, it's weird where it is because there's like other gardens and then a bit of a field that you can see out the window and that's where it's seen. Is it in the general direction of Mottram Church or the other way? Yeah, the other way. The other way. So we've gone on to the estate, further towards Jim Kennedy yeah. way. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Okay. Okay, was he a white male? He had an adult mate, so I couldn't really tell you, but... He was a male, though, yeah? Yeah, he was a male. You know how old he was? No, but he was about about my size, about 5'9". He's slim, medium. Medium build. Medium build. Medium. And what was he wearing, then? Black coat with a hood up, grey tracksuit buttons. You didn't recognise him, no? No. And you've no idea why it might have happened? Off the top of my head, no. Okay. I'm trying to rip my brains now, see so if I pissed anyone off, but yeah, I don't think yeah. so, no. Okay, four, two, five. Was he carrying anything, this lad, other than obviously the piece of stone that he loved? He, no? didn't, he didn't look like it, mate. No, three, no. He didn't <coughs> see anybody else, no? No. Your name, please? Adam. What's your second name, Adam? Darcy. Sorry, spell that for me, please. Dar G A R. Yeah. D R W. Sorry, give me that again. G R. G A R. Yeah. T R W E. E R W E. No, T R W E. Ah, Gartry. Sorry, that's what, <laughs> I didn't, that didn't, that's what I didn't know. Okay. And you think it's an act of damage as opposed to somebody trying to break into the house, do you? Possibly, yeah. That's what I'm thinking because if you look through the back window, I'm decorating at the minute, so there's no curtains up. If you look through the back window, you can see the plasma. So I'm wondering if they've. So you're thinking where they, where they broke the window? Is no. It, is it near a handle or anything to open another uh, window? a big window, actually, so they would have had no problem getting through. Climbing through, okay. Right, I'll get an officer up there, have a look around, see if they can see anybody similar, and then they'll come and see you. All right, Adam. How long would it take? Do you know, roughly, I know that it's fucking, it's not that serious. Well, because it's just happened, it's gone in on the priority, so that's within the hour, certainly. But okay. uh, they'll try and get up there as soon as, if there's a possibility, he's still knocking about. All right, then. Thanks very much. Okay. I'll, right. wait, uh, I'll be waiting. After their morning briefing, the two police constables made their way to the address, only a few miles from the station. PC Nicola Hughes was in her early 20s. She had studied criminology and been in the police force for about three years. Her colleague PC Fiona Bone was in her early 30s and had joined the force back in 2007 after volunteering as a special constable. When they arrived at the property, the officers walked up the garden path. The front door swung open and they were greeted by a man holding a Glock pistol with an extended magazine. The officers had no time to react before the man started shooting. As they moved out of the line of fire, PC Nicola Hughes was struck in the back. PC Fiona Bone attempted to deploy her taser gun, but she was also shot a number of times. Over the course of 30 seconds, the armed assailant emptied his weapon in the unprovoked attack. Before fleeing the scene in a stolen vehicle, the shooter discarded his gun and launched a live hand grenade towards his victims. Warren Shepherd, a witness who was cleaning the windows of a nearby house, Heard gunshots followed by an explosion. Yeah, I was um, cleaning the windows just over the road from it, but I was actually on the on the front of the house, not on the backs. If it was on the backs, I would probably have seen everything that happened. But I was on the front, and then I heard something about ten shots, really loud shots, and I thought it was coming from over the field. Sometimes you have like you know the shooting, the clay pigeon shooting, the grass field. 
um, the pheasant shooting, but it, it, it was too close for that and it, and it was really loud. And then after about 10 seconds, it was a big explosion, a big bang. And then um, when I got down off my ladder, went around the corner, um, a car went speeding past. I saw um, in the square, the police car was there, with no one in it, just the, the sirens flashing. And a lot of the neighbors were out who had just cleaned the windows previously. And they told me what had happened, they'd been a shooting. You know, they feared that the police officers had been shot. And then um, the next thing, more police came, ambulance, and um, cut. there was a lot of activity going on around the area. I mean, we were still quite close watching what was going on. And then the police came out with the tapes, asked us all to move on, taped it all off. And then um, that was it, really. Emergency services were dispatched immediately. When they arrived, PC Fiona Bone was pronounced dead at the scene and PC Nicola Hughes was rushed to hospital. She later died from her injuries. The cold-blooded murders of two unarmed police officers were not the killer's only victims. A few months earlier, a father and son lost their lives in two separate attacks. Armed with a Glock pistol and a collection of hand grenades, the murderer unleashed a hail of bullets that would see the Greater Manchester Police Force stretched to near breaking point in their attempts to bring the man responsible to justice. Four months before the murders of PC Fiona Bone and PC Nicola Hughes, on May 25, 2012, Mark Short was drinking in the Cotton Tree Pub in Droylsden with some acquaintances. Also joining him was Mark's father David and his mother Michelle Kelly. Around closing time, a Ford Focus pulled up just outside the pub. Leaving the passenger door wide open and the warning lights on, one of the occupants of the car hopped out of the vehicle and entered the pub through a side entrance. With a balaclava covering his face, and armed with a pistol, he opened fire. Some of the patrons ducked, successfully avoiding a stream of bullets. Three onlookers, Ryan Pridding, Michael Belcher and John Collins, suffered substantial injuries, and Raymond Young narrowly missed being shot as one bullet passed through his shorts. Mark Short wasn't so lucky. Although some patrons attempted to tackle the armed man, he managed to flee, jumping into the waiting car before driving off. David Short was using the pub toilet during the attack. He returned to find his son in a pool of blood. As Mark Short fought to breathe, his father cradled him during his dying moments. The emergency services were called, but it was too late. In a statement, the Short family said, Mark was taken away from us by cowards. They added, people who knew Mark knew him as a young man with a big heart. He would not think twice about helping his family and friends when they were in need. He was no angel, and it is no secret he had been in trouble with the police, but that was all in the past. Mark was only 23 years old and looking forward to his future with his son, Mark Jr. This has now all been taken away from him. Three years earlier, Mark had admitted to the charges of robbery and assault causing grievous bodily harm after he broke a shopkeeper's jaw while on bail for stealing a car. He was a physically imposing figure, having trained as a boxer, and was given an indefinite sentence with a minimum term of two years. Two years later, after his lawyers argued that he should not have received an open-ended sentence, the decision was overturned on appeal, 
and Mark was released shortly before his death. In a statement to police a week after the shooting, David Short, Mark's father, said, When I came out, I heard bang, 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 and instantly thought it sounded like a gun and went back in the toilet. Someone told me Mark had been shot. I looked down and saw him lying on the floor. At first, I could not believe it. I went over to Mark and put my hands under his head and started talking to him. I could see he was dying. He was lifeless. Some witnesses who spotted the gunman were either known criminals and refused to speak to police, or were simply too afraid to speak up, making it nearly impossible for detectives to pinpoint exactly who was responsible. As the investigation progressed, it was identified Mark Short may not have been the intended target, but nevertheless, after an incredible amount of hard work, police were slowly managing to narrow down their list of suspects. Due to the civil unrest in Greater Manchester at the time, Officers were conscious of the reprisals this attack might bring, and they were also concerned that the situation could escalate quickly. Gang members throughout Manchester were either put into protective custody or issued with threat-to-life warnings. A local man in his late twenties who received one of these warnings was Dale Cregan, and coincidentally he was high on the list of suspects that could have been involved in the shooting. On that day, he had been out drinking with his friends Luke Livesey Damien Gorman and Ryan Hadfield. After receiving the news, both Dale Cregan and Luke Livesey decided to flee the country, jumping on the next flight abroad. Detectives believed Dale Cregan was responsible, either in part or in full, but even with their suspicions regarding his guilt, they had no other option than to let him leave the country. But who was Dale Cregan? Dale Christopher Cregan was born on June 6, 1983. Delivered at the maternity ward of Tameside General Hospital, Dale was the second of three children to father Paul and mother Anita. Along with his parents, Dale lived with his older brother and younger sister in a terraced house on Greenside Lane in Droylsden. He attended the now-defunct Little Moss High School, and although he wasn't academically gifted, he worked hard, often looking for his mother's approval. After his parents separated, his behaviour deteriorated, and Dale started to get into fights with his fellow pupils, namely the nephews of the Short family. While at school, Dale began selling marijuana, but there was little indication of the man he would become. He travelled to Tenerife, spending a year and a half there with his sister, and while abroad he developed a fascination with knives. When he returned home, his obsession with knives had been replaced. He was now fascinated with military weapons. He started to collect an assortment of firearms and explosives, which included machine guns and hand grenades. He listed his occupation as a plasterer, however, in reality, his true profession was very different. To make money, Dale Cregan had turned to selling drugs. In his early 20s, he was dealing cocaine and would later be quoted as saying that he made around £20,000 a week, though this figure can't be verified. Dale started a relationship with Georgina Merriman, and the couple would later become parents to a baby boy. The family lived in a semi-detached three-bedroom property on a quiet cul-de-sac in the same town where Dale grew up. While high on cocaine, he would spend his days exercising in between phone calls selling drugs. His pockets were often filled with cash, and he spent most evenings down the pub. 
It was reported that Dale made a considerable amount of money through timeshare scams, though again these claims can't be substantiated. A distinctive physical feature about Dale Cregan is that he only has one eye. He insists he lost it on his travels abroad during a brawl in Thailand, but it would later be reported that there was no scar tissue around the eye socket, which implied it had been cut out. Police believed that it was forcibly removed by a member of a rival gang in Manchester. Throughout Dale's life, he had known both father and son David and Mark Short and had fought with their relatives when he was younger. The families had a long history and there was no love loss between them. Dale Cregan and the Shorts had both made a name for themselves throughout Greater Manchester for being affiliated with separate crime gangs. Often gangs in Manchester would sell drugs and using intimidation and their reputation, they'd create a black market in stolen goods. Dale was also friends with the Atkinson family. They'd had many run-ins with the Shorts during the early 2000s in a feud that had lasted almost a decade. Leon Atkinson had reportedly struck David Short in the face for merely looking at him the wrong way. Leon's father Francis was shot in the leg and then David Short was reportedly knocked off his motorbike and had his throat cut. Though he survived, the culprit was never caught. Despite their differences, in 2008 Leon Atkinson and David Short shook hands and an uneasy truce was formed as neither saw the benefit in constantly fighting. But only four years later, during the start of May 2012, the catalyst that would spark a new violent outburst between the families wouldn't be over money, stolen goods or gang warfare, but the declined offer of a drink. The repercussions of that night would spark a string of senseless murders, but the specific details wouldn't emerge until a year later in a packed courtroom. On his return from Thailand on June 12, 2012, Dale Cregan and his friend Luke Livesey were arrested at Manchester Airport. A friend of theirs, Damien Gorman, was also arrested separately on the same day. Damien Gorman had a list of convictions for violence, drug use and handling stolen goods. The only thing that would match his furious temper was his cocaine use. A decade earlier, Damien had witnessed his brother's death after his sibling had been shot and killed. Though he survived, Damien was also shot in the incident, receiving three bullets to the chest and two to the arm. Police believed that Dale Cregan, Luke Livesey and Damien Gorman were involved in the murder of Mark Short, but despite a gruelling round of questioning, they said little, so officers had to release them on bail three days later. Detectives were still awaiting test results from an old address of Damien Gorman's and officers were trying to place the suspects in close proximity of one another through the use of detailed telephone records. As soon as the results came back, Damien Gorman and Luke Livesey were arrested and charged with the murder of Mark Short and the attempted murders of the bystanders in the Cotton Tree pub. Dale was due to attend a bail hearing in the middle of August, but after test results identified his DNA to a property in Hollingsworth Tameside, where it was believed the suspects had cleaned up after the murder, a warrant was issued for his arrest. His gunshot residue was also discovered at the home, Detectives tried to press the suspects in custody for more information on Dale's whereabouts, but no one was talking. And when officers went to arrest Dale Cregan, 
he wasn't anywhere to be found. They searched his mother's and any addresses linked to him, but he seemed to have vanished into thin air. While Dale Cregan was on the run from police, he believed there would be a reprisal from David Short, so he took his family to a hotel in the Lake District and contemplated his next move. As soon as he found out that his friends Luke Livesey and Damien Gorman had been arrested, Dale travelled to Anglesey in North Wales. It was later reported that David Short had allegedly made it known that he would kill Dale Cregan and his entire family if he saw them, but in David Short's interview with police after his son's murder, and comments made by Michelle Kelly in court, both indicated they had no idea Dale was involved in their son's death. Unable to contain his paranoia that David Short might strike first, Dale travelled back to Greater Manchester, staying at a friend's in Newton Heath, about a ten-minute drive from Droylston. After the murder of Mark Short, David, his father, was devastated. He would visit his son's grave every day. Despite police contacting David and warning him on three separate occasions that his life might be in danger, he ignored their concerns and regularly travelled to Droylston Cemetery. David Short had publicly told his relatives to let the police do their job so he could mourn the loss of his son. This was something that Dale Cregan was going to exploit. Along with friends Anthony Wilkinson and Jermaine Ward, the three waited in a van outside the cemetery, hoping to gun down their target, but David didn't show up. Anthony Wilkinson, who was waiting in the van with Dale, had a long and varied criminal history. He was in his early 30s, a few years older than his accomplice, and they both shared a hatred for David Short. That day, David had decided to forego the trip to the cemetery and stay at home to prepare for a family barbecue. Frustrated, Dale Cregan and Anthony Wilkinson hired a van, filled it with blankets and pillows, and drove to David Short's home on Folkestone Road East in Clayton. They weren't sure when or if their target might appear. In broad daylight on the morning of August 10th, as David Short went outside to unpack some glass tables from the back of his jeep, two armed assailants appeared with their guns pointed towards him and began to chase the 46-year-old into his home. David had been warned by police that his life was in danger, was even offered a bulletproof vest, but this wouldn't shield him from the nightmare that was about to unfold. He attempted to flee through the house and made his way into the lounge, then the kitchen, and then into the conservatory. As he made it outside, he had been shot six times. Now incapacitated, he was hit a further three times in the head and neck. Incredibly, David Short was still alive, though it wouldn't be for long. Dale Cregan threw a fragmentation grenade towards his victim. After detonating, the explosive left the upper part of David Short's body in pieces. Evidence later showed that due to the extensive bruising caused by the grenade blast, it suggested that his heart was still beating at the time the grenade detonated. Authorities were alerted to the shooting, but only minutes later a second incident near the first on Luke Road was reported at a separate address. The home belonged to Sharon Hark, who was said to be connected to another family Dale Cregan had a grievance with. The homeowner later stressed she knew of Dale Cregan, but her family had made no enemies and couldn't understand why her home was targeted. 
the blast had damaged her front porch and smashed her front windows. Luckily, no one was injured. A third hand grenade was detonated moments later in an attempt to destroy a white Vauxhall combo van that had been used by the attackers. Investigating officers believed that the explosives were used to destroy any forensic evidence in the van. A bomb disposal team arrived at the end of Luke Road and found the abandoned van badly damaged. The road was cordoned off until officers were happy there weren't any further explosives in the vehicle. As detectives reviewed some CCTV footage taken of Luke Road, they were almost certain the man they saw was Dale Cregan. He can be seen armed with a pistol, removing the pin from a hand grenade and then throwing it towards Sharon Hark's home. Day before David Short was murdered, on August 9th a man brought a Ford Fiesta car from the low stock car garage in Ermston, Trafford. Using the name Dale Ford, the man who was approximately 5 foot 10 inches tall paid nearly £2,000 in cash and left as the dealer was filling out some paperwork. The Ford was the vehicle thought to be used in the shooting and was found abandoned on Lord Lane in Failsworth. Experts had found both Dale Cregan's and Anthony Wilkinson's fingerprints on various locations on and in both the Vauxhall Combo van and the Ford Fiesta and also discovered their fingerprints on water bottles and gun parts found in the vehicles. Dale Cregan and Anthony Wilkinson were now the main suspects in the investigation and police labelled them a national threat as they weren't afraid to use violence and were likely armed. The press were notified and the public was warned not to approach them under any circumstances. As the Summer Olympics was coming to an end and the Summer Paralympics was due to start, any mistakes could see a considerable loss of life, so each step on the journey to apprehend the culprits had to be carefully considered. The police decided to offer a reward for information that led to the capture of Dale Cregan and Anthony Wilkinson. The substantial sum of £25,000 was initially offered, but it slowly dawned on those working the investigation that this amount simply wasn't enough. Posters had been placed throughout Manchester by persons unknown, which stated that any informants who received the reward wouldn't live long enough to spend it. To prompt someone to speak up, the money needed to be life-changing. A sense of fear penetrated the community, and so the police decided to do something unprecedented. The operation was costing them £150,000 a day, so the reward was doubled to £50,000. In footage given to the press, the police put on display the money in bundles of £50 notes and appealed to the public that one call was all it takes. If you have information about where they're hiding or who is hiding them, one anonymous phone call to Crime Stoppers, that's all it's going to take. And we will pay you £50,000 for that information which leads to the arrest of Cregan and Wilkinson. Don't have to come to a police station, don't have to go to court to give evidence. Just pick up the phone, give us that information, allow us to do our job and bring those people into custody. After the murder of David Short, Dale Cregan, Anthony Wilkinson and their getaway driver Jermaine Ward fled Manchester. Another associate, Mohammed Imran Ali, drove them north, heading to Bradford and then on to Leeds. Mohammed Imran Ali, in his early 30s, was also a convicted drug dealer who had sold heroin, steroids and illicit Viagra. The men stayed in a small one-bedroom apartment for nearly two weeks and would spend their days watching television and laughing when they saw news reports of the extensive manhunt. 
a strange turn of events, while police were on the hunt for Dale Cregan and his cohorts, Jermaine Ward strolled into Huddersfield Police Station on August 23rd. He explained that he had been held captive by Dale Cregan and Anthony Wilkinson, who told him that if he didn't help them, they would kill his entire family. He told officers that he only carried out the crime as he was under duress. He said Dale Cregan had held a gun to his head and put a hand grenade in his mouth. He said he was treated like a slave and was too petrified to say or do anything. During the police interview, Jermaine explained that after nearly two weeks of being held captive, he was thrown out of a van. He went straight to the police station where officers pressed him for further details, but he said he couldn't remember. He was asked why would he go to the police with such little information. He replied, I've told you everything I can, I just don't want them to on the streets. Despite being adamant that he was not involved and was held against his will, this claim was ultimately dismissed by police as Jermaine couldn't recall the location or any specific details of the flat in which the fugitives were meant to have stayed. Jermaine Ward was charged with murder and attempted murder and would be appearing before Manchester Crown Court in November of that year. The investigation had to deal not only with trying to track down the two fugitives, but they also had to monitor and protect those gang members who could be next on the culprit's kill list. The volume of those potential targets was in the hundreds, and even with a sizeable reward on offer, no one was talking. Though Dale Cregan was familiar with police procedures due to his criminal background, he somehow amassed a detailed understanding of what the investigation was doing and always seemed to be one step ahead of the law. This begged the question, was there an inside man that was helping him? Before midday on September 2nd, 2012, armed police were patrolling Openshaw in Greater Manchester when they spotted Anthony Wilkinson in a local park. He was arrested without incident, and during his interview he said little, smirking when questioned about David Short's murder. He was charged with murder, attempted murder, and possession of a firearm. The following day, police urged Dale Cregan to hand himself in. As his accomplice was back in Manchester, there was a high probability Dale was back there too. Rumours circulated that he had been seen in a number of local pubs, but police weren't taking any chances. Officers constantly patrolled the streets, and Dale Cregan's friends and relatives were regularly receiving visits from the police. Steve Hayward, Assistant Chief Constable of the Greater Manchester Police said, We've got an awful lot of armed police on the streets of Drawsden and Clayton, and that will continue. There will be an awful lot of visits to his friends and family, and that will continue. Dale Cregan had become the UK's most wanted man, and a task force to find him, called Operation Dakar, was formed. A dozen armed police vehicles were deployed each day in the hunt for the fugitive, a fully staffed incident room underpinned the operation and every officer throughout the United Kingdom was on lookout. Over 50 raids took place throughout Greater Manchester, but the police were still no further forward in capturing Dale Cregan. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On the evening of September 17th, armed with the same Glock pistol that was used to murder David Short, Dale Cregan arrived at a home in Abbey Gardens. After hearing a knock at the door and surprised by someone calling at such a late hour, Alan Whitwell, a local barber, leaned out of his window and inquired who it was. He heard a voice reply, it's Dale. Although Alan could only see the outline of a figure in the darkness, he had worked with someone called Dale, and the man's voice sounded familiar, so he went downstairs and opened his front door. Dale Cregan casually walked into the home as if he had lived there all his life, and placed a hand grenade on the mantelpiece. He said starkly, Do what I say and you won't get hurt, before putting his gun on the arm of the sofa. Alan Whitwell only knew who Dale was in passing, and terror struck as his partner, Lisa McIntosh, and her seven-year-old daughter were upstairs. Lisa made sure her daughter was hidden away, and Alan was asked to collect one of Dale's friends, Stephen Garvey, who lived nearby. Petrified, he complied. When Alan returned, Dale and his acquaintance requested that Alan get them some beers, cigars and cocaine as they would be having a farewell party. This request would be followed by another, and then another. Dale wanted Alan to run him a bath, cut his hair and trim his beard. Before Stephen Garvey left, both he and Dale Cregan used Alan's computer to surf the internet, looking at guns and reading news stories about the investigation into the manhunt to find Mark and David Short's killer. Alan went upstairs and stayed with his girlfriend and her daughter until early the next day. In the morning, Alan was told by Dale to go to work, 
but if he told the authorities about what had happened, his partner and her child would be murdered. Alan left at 5.30am, however returned home as he was too concerned about his partner's safety. Lisa McIntosh had been told to take her daughter to school, and whilst he was alone in the house, Dale Cregan hatched a plan to get back at the police force. He was incensed by the reward for his arrest, so around 10.15am, under the guise of Adam Gartry, Dale Cregan called 999. Shortly before 11am, PC Fiona Bone and PC Nicola Hughes arrived at the address. It was an ambush, and the police constables were subjected to a hail of gunfire. Both constables were struck, but as they were wearing body armour, the bullets didn't penetrate any further than the vests. As the officers tried to dodge the bullets flying towards them, Dale Cregan took aim and hit PC Nicola Hughes in the back. A bullet severed her spinal column and she collapsed to the floor. Unable to move, Dale Cregan took aim and pulled the trigger again and again. He then turned his attention to PC Fiona Bone, firing over 20 shots in her direction. She had tried to use her taser gun, however one of the bullets penetrated her body armour, entering her heart and killing her instantly. Dale Cregan then wandered up to PC Nicola Hughes, who was lying on the floor, and shot her in the back of the head, emptying the magazine in the process. As he left the scene of the crime, Dale Cregan launched a live hand grenade towards the officers. The explosion was deafening, and the outcome catastrophic. neighbour of the family being held hostage later recounted to the press that they thought the homeowners had gone away until they heard a series of loud bangs before running outside to see what had happened. The witness, who didn't want to be identified, explained, I got up, looked out of the kitchen window at the back of my house and couldn't see anything. Then there were a couple more bangs by the time I'd walked to the front window. It was six or seven loud bangs, which I thought were loud for fireworks. It was only afterwards I found out they were gunshots. The witness ran outside, and while speaking to another neighbour, they were told it was gunshots, and so they should call the police. In complete disregard for his own safety, the witness ran towards the scene of the crime, spotting two victims of a shooting and a handgun on the floor. He stayed with PC Nicola Hughes until the ambulance arrived. The witness says that he will never be able to forget what happened and will forever be tormented by it. Although he sought counselling from Mind, a mental health charity, he is still traumatised by the events of that day. He said, It's never going to go away. I've been to Mind and talked to them, but you can't talk to anyone about it, because it brings it back, and you end up in floods of tears. Shortly after the senseless murders of both police officers, Dale Cregan again entered the home of Alan Whitswell and Lisa McIntosh and demanded the keys to their BMW parked outside. He got into the vehicle and sped off. Fearing for his partner's safety, Alan Whitwell later told the press that he didn't want to ring the police until he knew Dale Cregan had left, despite wanting to help the officers outside. He said, You've got to live with the guilt every day. If we'd made a different decision, would those officers still be alive today? It still haunts us on a daily basis. Dale Cregan headed towards Hyde Police Station in Manchester. Standing at the front desk, 
the arresting officer recognised the man in front of him almost immediately. Dale Cregan bluntly explained that he had just killed two police officers, but wished his victims had not been female. In the middle of the exchange, he called his girlfriend. As the cuffs were placed on his wrists, Dale said, I dropped the gun at the scene and have murdered two police officers. You were hounding my family, so I took it out on yours. In a press conference, Sir Peter Fahey addressed the press with all the available details at the time. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my name is Sir Peter Fahey, Chief Constable of Greater Manchester Police. Uh, on my right is Paul, Councillor Paul Murphy, Chairman of the Greater Manchester Police Authority. Uh, and on my left is Ian Hanson, uh, Chair of the Police Federation of Greater Manchester. Clearly, we are devastated uh, today by the loss of two of our officers. I'm now in a position to name those two officers. The first was Fiona Bone. Fiona was 32 years old, with five years' service. And the second officer to die was Nicola Hughes, who's 26 years old, with three years' service. Clearly, this is one of the darkest days in the history of Greater Manchester Police, if not the police service overall because we have lost two deeply loved and, and valued colleagues, because they are part of our team. Policing is very much a family. But also because of the huge efforts that officers had, had been making to arrest and detain Dale Cregan, and obviously the officers involved in that inquiry are, are shattered by this outcome. I think, as you are aware, Locating Cregan since the murder of David Short on the 10th of August has been the top priority for Greater Manchester Police. This has been a huge investigation for us. We have had great support from other forces, from other law enforcement agencies, and we've had some of our best people on this particular investigation. We have carried out over 50 firearms warrants in an attempt to locate him. We have made a number of arrests of other people. I think you are aware that we've used all forms of publicity, posters, uh, rewards through Crime Stoppers and whatever to try and locate this man. We believe that he has been protected by a criminal conspiracy to harbour him and we are absolutely determined to fully investigate that conspiracy and bring the people involved to book. This case tells us something about the nature of organised crime, the web of intimidation that it creates, and the fact that people then sometimes see others as, as folk heroes for being involved in this sort of activity. Since that event, we have had officers on armed patrol 24 hours a day, seven days a week in the Clayton and Droylston area, but clearly we cannot send armed officers to the hundreds of incidents that we get, not only in these areas, but in the surrounding areas, every single day. These were two officers going about their normal duty. Like all officers, they went to a variety of incidents not knowing what it was that they would face. Clearly the police service is not perfect, 
we know there have been a number of high-profile incidents. But below that, day in, day out, police officers go about their duty, go into dangerous situations, unexpected situations, show great bravery, great courage, and are with people at the very worst moments in their lives. And this is exactly what these two officers were doing. The national press began to question why Dale Cregan was initially released on bail when he was a suspect in the deaths of both David and Mark Short. Sir Peter Fahey provided an explanation to reporters. It is absolutely normal in complex crime inquiries that when people are arrested, there are occasions when there is insufficient evidence available for them to be charged. In those circumstances, suspects have to be released on bail, as there are strict time limits covering how long suspects can be held in custody without charge. This is exactly what has happened in this case. Every national newspaper covered the incident, and there was a substantial police presence at the property, along with a bomb disposal team. A controlled explosion signals the seriousness of an operation on one of the darkest days in British policing history. The deaths of two officers combined with the use of grenades will inevitably create considerable concern across many communities, but none more so than the suburb of Hattersley, still trying to cope with the closing and bloody scenes of a criminal operation almost without parallel. Authorities were concerned that more violent attacks might occur in the area, and a reporter spoke to Greg Davis, who founded the United Estates of Withinshaw, a project that looks to entice young people away from criminal activity. He explained how easily gang feuds can escalate. One of the characteristics that typifies in the city areas is hostility and aggression, certainly amongst young men. Feuds arise from absolutely nowhere. You looked at me funny, you spilt my drink. Your daughter's had a fight with my daughter is, is, is an example, which can escalate, which can spill over, uh, which will result in, in, in one or two, three, four, five murders. That's, that is an innocent area. Once uh, uh, organisations like the police, if they are invisible, if they're not providing a, a service that is law and order, then, then people that live on this estate, you know, just like any other estate, will demand a level of law and order. If the police are not providing that service, then somebody... Reporters also spoke to Joe Pennington, who runs a gym in Greater Manchester. Police had requested that he shut down the gym in case any further explosives had been planted. We got a phone call to the police and they um, just told me straight that you know, we've had a, a threat that they're going to bomb Northside Boxing Club. Uh, not a threat to you, Joe, but to the gym. And you've uh, got to shut it. I was scared, yeah, because what happened there was never heard of. And I just thought well, it is a bit dangerous and... I was fighting myself, so I just shut the gym. Picture them out when he boxes at the Velodrome. Local residents also read tributes to the fallen officers. Um, words cannot say how I'm feeling at this moment. My heart goes out to the family and friends and the police who have lost two of their officers. It's sickened everybody. It really has. I think everybody's thinking, you know, for, about the police, the two officers who have died and their family. Hearsay is that he has been going to the pubs. He has been seen in Tesco's, he has been seen going round the estate, obviously. It'll all come out in the wash. I mean, you've heard it on the telly and people think it's a cliche, but the police is one big family and it hits you here. PC Fiona Bone was described as being a calm, gentle woman who was in the middle of planning a civil partnership to a long-term girlfriend with whom she raised their five-year-old daughter. 
Her friends spoke of her plans for the future. She's going to try the wedding dress and she's very excited about it and she's totally in love with her partner and they, they, they were looking forward to share their life together. She absolutely enjoyed her job 100%. She, she just loves the thrill of not knowing um, one day to the next what, what new adventures would happen and um, by all accounts, like all her colleagues loved working with her as well because she was such a bubbly person. She was, uh, she was finding the work she was doing really interesting and uh, challenging, but uh, uh, and yeah, she was really looking forward to, to getting married and she was very settled down, very uh, just, she just seemed, to, seemed happier than, than I'd seen her for a, a long time. PC Nicola Hughes's family issued a statement in which they explained that she loved her job. Nicola always wanted to make a difference and in doing so she made such a big difference to everyone she knew. She cared about everyone, especially her colleagues. After Dale Cregan's arrest, he was taken to an interview room. He point-blank refused to answer most of the questions posed to him. When he was asked why he turned himself in, he finally said, because you couldn't find me, could you? On September 20th, Dale Cregan was charged with the murders of PC Fiona Bone, PC Nicola Hughes and Mark and David Short and he would be remanded in custody. A few days later on September 24th, Dale Cregan appeared via video link at Manchester Crown Court to hear the charges against him. He yawned as they were read aloud. During the hearing, Judge Andrew Gilbart QC issued an order to bar the press from covering the case before the trial. He said the court is very much aware of the intense interest the public will have in what went on and why. It is also very much aware that in this democratic society, one would want and expect senior politicians, newspapers and the media to make comment when terrible events such as these occur, provided that they do so within the usual proper bounds. But the punishment of a man or woman charged with crime can only happen in a free and democratic society if he is convicted after due process. It is critical to the maintenance of that due process that any defendant who denies a charge receives a fair trial. It cannot and must not be decided on the basis of material published otherwise. He added that deciding what happened is a matter for a jury to consider and not for the press, broadcasting media, internet sites police or politicians. Dale Cregan was behind bars, but police were sure violence on the outside would follow, so more threat to life warnings, also known as Osmond warnings, were issued. The Greater Manchester Police confirmed that they had issued three of these warnings to David Short before he was murdered, so it was imperative that those on the receiving end took them seriously. Here is the former head of special operations for the Greater Manchester Police, David Anthony, explaining what an Osman warning is. An Osman warning is used in very rare instances where police have very credible intelligence that someone's life is in danger. Not only in danger, that someone has the ability to carry out that threat and is it, their life is in imminent danger. After the attacks, numerous articles appeared in the press questioning whether police officers should be armed. A relative of PC David Rathband, who was blinded after Raoul Moat shot him in the face in 2010, was of the belief that officers should be more equipped to deal with armed criminals. His twin brother Darren Rathband stated, It beggars belief. 
How many officers need to die before the powers realize that it is the 21st century and you cannot fight crime with an outdated piece of plastic and a bit of spray? PC David Rathband committed suicide in 2012 after receiving his life-changing injuries. After the murders of PC Fiona Bone and PC Nicola Hughes, it was believed more police officers could be targeted by hardened criminals looking to raise their profile amongst their peers. However, Sir Peter Fahey explained that officers should remain unarmed. Clearly we are a, a, a police force that is routinely unarmed. Although we have great expertise from armed officers in our support. But we are passionate that the British style of policing is routinely unarmed policing. And sadly we know from the experience in America and other countries that having armed officers certainly does not mean sadly that police officers do not end up getting shot dead. At the start of October 2012, two funeral services were held for both PC Nicola Hughes and PC Fiona Bone. Manchester came to a standstill as thousands of onlookers gathered to pay their respects and hundreds of flowers were left at the scene where the two policewomen lost their lives. During the service for Nicola Hughes, which was broadcast to the crowds of onlookers outside, chaplain for the Greater Manchester Police Force, the Reverend Charles Nevin said, We cannot change what has been. We cannot turn back the clock. Along with Dale Cregan, nine other men would be charged in connection with the murders of PC Nicola Hughes, PC Fiona Bone and Mark and David Short. The trial date was set for February 2013 at Preston Crown Court. This is the end of part one. To hear more about the trial, additional information on how Dale Cregan managed to stay one step ahead of the law and the present whereabouts of the people involved, please tune in next time. Thank you for listening and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. To help support They Walk Among Us, please consider donating at patreon.com forward slash theywalkamonguspodcast.com where you'll receive early access to ad-free episodes for just $3 a month. If you enjoyed the show, please also consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast provider. You can follow us on Twitter at TWAU underscore podcast or follow us on Instagram and Facebook under They Walk Among Us podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.